Welcome, little ones and old ones <laughs> and in-between ones. Welcome. It's so good to have you here. I'm Rhonda. I'm Rhonda Burchard. I partner with Marianne here at the River, and I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm so excited to be in First Peter. I have to tell you, I love the Apostle Peter, the author of this letter, and I think a lot of us do. In fact, I walked in this morning and I heard some women saying, I love Peter. And I was like, I love Peter. Come on. The thing that I most appreciate about Peter is that we get to see his journey of faith. We see his struggles. We see his doubts. We see his overconfidence in himself. We see his vulnerability. It's popular in our culture right now to say, you do you. Well, Peter does Peter. We might be amused at his attempts, but more than anything, I admire him. And the trait of Peter that I most admire is that he is in the fight of faith. He has perseverance. He has grit. He is not passive. He is actively engaged making bold claims, stepping out in faith, wanting to build booths at the transfiguration. And by the way, he is actually the only other person to walk on the water. All the other keep it safe stayed in the boat. My favorite scripture verse in all of the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I think we can genuinely say Peter seeks God with all his heart. And because he does, he finds him. So it is good for us to listen to this passionate follower of Jesus, the man who was quite likely Jesus' closest friend while here on earth. It's not surprising coming from Peter that the very first words of this week's scripture are preparing your mind for action. Preparing your mind for action. Peter is indeed a person of action, and he is calling us to be the same. This phrase is kind of a figure of speech because in Bible days, they wore these long flowing robes or tunics. So if they were going to do any heavy work, like Peter as a fisherman, they would need to tie up their robes so the material wouldn't be in their way. So they would pull the material up both sides, down and around, and then tie it at their waist. And now they're ready for work. Eugene Peterson in the message translation updates it to our way of thinking. He translates 1 Peter 1.13, roll up your sleeves and put your mind in gear. Peter wants us to get our minds ready so we can take the next step of action, the next step of faith. Are your minds prepared for action? That's how Peter wants us to begin. So let's go ahead and take a look at all of this week's passage. It's kind of long. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. I'm going to read the whole passage the way it would have been read in Bible days. So here we go. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Boy, he knows how to pack a lot in, right? Our study guide does a nice job of pulling from verses six steps that we can take to deepen our faith journey. If you have your study with you and you want, go ahead and turn to page 138. Go ahead and turn to 138 if you would like. Here we're asked to identify some clear next steps, specific steps we can take putting our faith in action. So the questions are, how are you going to set your hope fully on grace? How are you not going to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance? How are you going to be holy in all your conduct? How are you going to conduct yourself with fear? How are you going to purify your soul by your obedience to the truth? And how are you going to love one another earnestly from a pure heart? These are what we call application questions, helping us identify how we're going to apply God's word to our lives. Where in our lives can we actually put into practice all that we are learning? I hope you have or will think about these practical next steps for your own faith journey. Give it a try. Step out of the boat in faith like our friend and mentor, Peter. Maybe even this week. And then you can report back to your group. That is what Peter is talking about. That is rolling up your sleeves. Because the truth is, studying the Bible without application is knowledge. But studying the Bible with application can change your life. Studying the Bible without application is knowledge. But studying the Bible with application can change your life. 
Now, I'm not going to duplicate what our study guide has already done. Instead, during our time together, I'm going to have us kind of step back a little bit and take a little bit of a wider lens view in looking at today's passage. I'm calling my teaching today Peter's Priority. We find it right at the beginning of verse 17 in today's passage. Peter writes, and if you call on him as father. If you call on him as father. That is the verse, in fact, the only verse we're going to talk about in our time together. And it is also our outline for today. First, we're going to talk about the word if. Then we're going to talk about the word you. Then we're going to look at what it means to call on him. Finally, we're going to look at the word father. What does it mean to call God father? We're going to spend all of our time on that one verse. So let's get started with the word if. If you call on him as father. Now, if we have any English majors in here, the word if is a conjunction. And in this case, that tells us there are at least two or more possibilities. So that means that we as readers have a choice. And here is our choice. If you call him father or if you don't. We can choose to call on him as father or we can choose not to call on him as father. As I started thinking about this, the idea of choice is actually a repeated theme throughout the Bible. Our God is a God that gives us choices. That is part of being image of God, created in God's image. God created us with the ability to choose. Now, the Bible is one grand story from Genesis to Revelation, and choice is inherent in the Bible story from the very beginning. Right out of the gate, Adam and Eve have the choice regarding the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Choices. Abraham, is he going to choose to follow God? Is he going to choose to sacrifice Isaac? Moses, listening to God in the burning bush, is he going to choose what God is asking him to do and confront Pharaoh? The Bible is really one decision, one choice after another. There are some well-known verses in the Bible reminding us about the importance of our choices. In Deuteronomy, we have Moses encouraging the Israelites before they enter the promised land. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Next, we have Joshua encouraging the Israelites. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. The spiritual life is essentially one of choosing God or not choosing God. In the Gospels, Jesus becomes the focus of the choice. Repeatedly, we read stories of people accepting or rejecting what Jesus says about himself and the kingdom of God. 
Some people turn away from Jesus because the cost feels too high and others embrace his message. Peter, the author of our letter, witnessed people making this choice for or against Jesus firsthand. And now Peter is calling on us, the reader of his letter, to make a choice if you call on him as father. The word if is telling us we have a choice. So I ask you, what have you chosen? Have you chosen to put your faith in Jesus? Because if you have, there is a next step. So let's look at it. Our scripture passage today is what is known as an if-then statement. If-then statements are used in logic, geometry, and computer programming. Because if something is true, then there are implications. So for example, if you eat oranges, then you will increase your vitamin C. If you get eight hours of sleep, then your body will be more rested. Peter says, if you call on him as father, then you will have certain behaviors. You see, Peter knows all about if-then statements. A few weeks ago, we learned of Peter's denial of Jesus. In fact, all four gospel accounts tell of Peter's three times denying Christ. Peter was devastated when he realized what he had done. We read that he wept bitterly. He was heartbroken and shaken to the core. But then Jesus rises from the dead and something incredible happens to Peter. Peter goes from ready, fire, aim, denier to a thoughtful, intentional leader in the Christian community. How did that happen? Let's look at it. After Jesus rose from the dead one morning, he meets the disciples and cooks them breakfast at the beach. Now, Jesus is my kind of guy for sure. We see it in John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What is happening here? There's so many beautiful things about this passage. Peter denied three times. Jesus forgives three times. It's so lovely. But did you notice Jesus' if-then statements? If you love me, then feed my sheep. If you love me, then tend my sheep. If you love me, then feed my lambs. If-then statements. Because remember, if something is true, then there are implications. Peter is reminding us in our passage of the if-then principle because Jesus taught the principle of if-then statements to him firsthand. 
If you call on the Father, then there are implications. There are conditions. There are expectations. There are steps you need to take. If you call on him as Father, then you need to obey. Because the truth is, love and relationship with God is only seen in obedience. Love and relationship with God is only seen in obedience. Peter is calling on us to make a choice. If you call on him as Father, and the word if tells us we have that choice. So what have you chosen? Have you chosen to put your faith in Jesus? Because if you have, then there is a next step. Because love and relationship with God is only seen in obedience. The first word of our outline is if. The second word of our outline is you. If you call on him as father. Peter isn't asking if your parents called on him. He isn't asking if your grandparents called on him or your brother, sister, neighbor, pastor, favorite writer, speaker, blogger. The question is you because everyone makes their own choice. There's a wonderful story emphasizing this in Matthew 16. Let's look at it. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, this was Jesus' favorite name for himself, the Son of Man. And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because really, that is the most important question of all. Who do you say Jesus is? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. There's another place in scripture where Jesus is concerned about the word you. And wouldn't we know it, it's also part of Peter's story. Let's look at it. As we've learned in our study, history tells us that the apostle Peter was put to death by crucifixion. Jesus himself told Peter this is how he would die. We see it in John 21, 18, and 19. Jesus is saying this to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. It does not get any more intense than that. Crucifixion, of course, is horrible. The word excruciating is from the same word as the root of crucifixion. It was a death literally designed in such a way as to prolong agony, for the pain to be excruciating. This is not good news for Peter. So what happens next? 
Just then, Peter turns and sees the disciple John. When Peter saw him, he asked, well, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is really difficult teaching for Peter. And the truth is, Peter gets caught up in the same thing we get caught up in, looking at others, comparing our lives to theirs. This is, of course, why we love Peter so much. His journey of faith is so much like mine. Two steps forward, one step back. It's so easy to get distracted with other people's stories. Social media reminds us again and again what everyone else is doing, the trips they are taking, who they are spending time with, the latest pictures that remind us of their perfect lives with their perfect kids and their perfect husbands. It can be especially discouraging when, like Peter, we have just been hit with some really devastating news an unexpected diagnosis, the death of someone we love. We've just been let go at our job. There's been a terrible accident, maybe a betrayal. Some of these have hit some of you in recent days. It is so easy to get distracted with other people's lives when we are in a difficult place. Sometimes we want to say to God, like Peter, well, what about her? I don't like what's happening in my life. This is too much. Look at what she's doing. Why can't I be more like her, right? It's so easy to get sidetracked focusing on other people's lives. And what does Jesus say? He says, what is that to you? Not in a hurtful way, but in the kindest, most gentle, most compassionate way. He says, Rhonda, what is that to you? What does that have to do with you? You must follow me. And he says the same to you. You see, relationship with God is just that. It's our relationship. It's between God and us as individuals. Hebrews 12.2 encourages us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You get the point that Jesus is making to Peter. Jesus doesn't want us focusing on others, their lives, their stories, their successes, their failures, their homes, their kids, He wants us to keep our eyes on him. Because your relationship with God is about him and you. And so Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? The second word of Peter's priority is you. So we've talked about if and you, and the third point of our outline is call on him. If you call on him as father. The first thing to know about calling is when we call on him, we are responding to his call to us. God is always the one who makes the first move. God is the creator. 
God is the initiator. Perhaps the well, most well-known verse in all of scripture is John 3.16. Let's look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loves, God gave. He is the initiator and we are the responder. And we respond in belief. And when we respond in belief, we are calling on him. So let's look at some instances of calling on God in scripture. It goes all the way back to Genesis 4.26, where we read, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So we see there is a starting point to calling on God. Zechariah 13.9 says, They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people. And they will say, The Lord is my God. We see that calling is a relationship. The initial call comes from God. And then we respond by calling on him. And God answers us. In the calling, he defines us as his. And we define him as ours. So we see calling has a beginning, and it's relational. In Joel 2.32, and then repeated in the New Testament in Romans 10.13, we read, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This shows us that calling is open to everyone. So when we answer God's calling by calling on him, what we are saying is yes. But what are we saying yes to? Good question. Because we can't say yes to a calling if we don't know what we're saying yes to. So here is what we are agreeing to. The call of God is two things. It's believing in him as Lord and Savior and following him in obedience. There's that word again. Following him in obedience. That's what it means to call on God. So the question Peter is asking you, have you called on God? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Jesus' call is there waiting for you to respond to this adventure of faith. As we have seen, answering God's call has a beginning point. Could today be your beginning point? the day of your choice to begin a relationship with Jesus. His call is there for you to respond. This relationship of faith and adventure is waiting. So we've talked about if and you and calling on him. The final part of our outline is father. If you call on him as father. The image of God as father is an important theme in the Bible. God is known as father in both the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, we read in Psalm 68, 5, that God is a father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. 
In the New Testament, in 1 John 3, 1, we read, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians six eighteen, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And beautifully, we see t- Jesus teaching us to call God Father as he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now here's where we need to be really honest. The relationship between God the Father and God the Son is the perfect example for father-child relationships. There is complete trust, love, and respect. But unfortunately, not all of us have had the perfect father-child relationship. For some of us, our relationships with our human father has been difficult. For some of us, the relationship has been painful and hurtful. But let's look back to our passage. We see Peter is telling us that God, as Father, is impartial. A person who is impartial is trustworthy. We can trust him as Father. Maybe you can't say that about your earthly father. Maybe you've been let down. So this is where some of us need to put into practice preparing our minds for action. Remember, that is how Peter Peter starts this passage. Some of us need to prepare our minds and rethink what the relationship with a father could be. Because God is the best father that you can imagine. Our passage describes him as holy Unlike earthly fathers, he is completely without sin. But you see, our brains prefer the path of least resistance. That's why we tend to think the same thoughts over and over again. So our brains need to be retrained. Our brains have to be, as Peter says, prepared Our minds need to be prepared for action so we can trust God and take a step of faith in a new way. As Peter tells us in our passage, we have inherited futile ways from our earthly fathers. So let's take a few minutes to prepare our minds and learn what a relationship with a father could be. Let's read some verses about how God is trustworthy. Psalm 13:5, but I trust in your unfailing love. Isaiah 26:4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. God is trustworthy. As some of you know, I am in a residency program for hospital chaplains. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Because it is a residency, that means really I'm still in school, even though I thought I graduated, (laughs) but I didn't really. So I do lots of reading, lots of papers, lots of presentations and evaluations in addition to work with patients. 
The goal of the program is that I will be able to enter into any patient and family dynamic in the hospital, and I will still be able to serve as a pastor, not being hijacked by my own personal history. What I didn't understand going into it is that it involves a lot of processing of my family of origin. And that's what's becoming clear in this residency, is that my family I grew up in, we never talked about feelings, ever. So I'm learning to talk about feelings really for the first time in my life. To say that I've been surprised by this part of my residency would be an understatement. And because of this focus on feelings, my children and my husband are the first learners of all new education. We have a feelings wheel on our refrigerator now. <laughs> Helping our family talk about feelings in a new way. And we used it last night. They see me coming in with the paper. This is a new behavior. But what I've learned is that the ability to express feelings is a significant part of being able to relate to others in a healthy way. There are two practical techniques I would like you to consider as you relate to God as Father. The first is to share your feelings with God. As you relate to God as Father, share your feelings with God. Recently, I came across an author who is a professor at Harvard Medical School, and this is how he described secure attachments that ideally occur in childhood with our parents. When I am lonely, sad, scared, or need comfort, when I truly believe I can always turn to my trusted adult with what I'm feeling, then there is secure attachment. But actually, when this professor gave this description, saying my trusted, my trusted adult, he blew me away when he included the words, or God. So this is how the Harvard professor actually said it, and I have it for you. When I am lonely, sad, scared, or need comfort, when I truly believe I can always turn to my trusted adult or God with what I'm feeling, then there is secure attachment. Secure attachment gives us a self of confidence, self-esteem, and safety. And the good news is there is no need to soothe ourselves addictively. The professor went on to say trusted people are accessible, responsible, and engaged. Trusted people are accessible, responsible, engaged. Friends, this is a description of God. God the Father is accessible, responsible, and engaged. Honestly, I was blown away when he tied this to faith in God. 
So regardless of the kind of attachment you had with your earthly father, you can have a secure attachment with God. This is life-changing, potentially. So how do we engage with God in this way in order to form a secure attachment? Here's the key. We engage with him by naming our feelings and sharing our feelings with God. And we do this through prayer. We build trust in God by telling him how we feel. Oh God, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm scared. I'm happy. I'm at peace. And then I tell him what is going on inside me, describing my feelings. God then engages with us because he's accessible and responsible. It then becomes this beautiful cycle of us being real with God, sharing our feelings, and him responding. And what develops is secure attachment with God. And why would we do this? Because he is trustworthy. And he proves himself over and over again. I was so excited when I found this pattern of secure attachment, sharing feelings, and it all be connected to God. I hope it is encouraging to you as it was to me. And it begins with us sharing our feelings with God as our Father. There is a second practical technique we can use as we focus on God as our Father, and it is meditation. Once again, we have to let God repattern and reform our thinking because our Heavenly Father is different than our earthly Father. Scripture talks repeatedly about meditating on Scripture. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. To meditate just means to think deeply about something or focus your mind on something for a period of time. The Bible repeatedly calls for us to meditate on Scripture. Dr. Kurt Thompson is a Christian psychiatrist who has focused his work on this idea of retraining our brains and has applied his work to such Bible verses as what Peter started out with, preparing our minds for action. Kurt Thompson's book, Anatomy of the Soul, has really encouraged me in meditating in Scripture in order to retrain my brain specifically on how I can trust God as my heavenly father. Thompson, in his book, recommends a scripture meditation that has been very meaningful for me and very healing, and I'd like to share it with you. He created a meditation exercise based on the story of Jesus' baptism in Luke 3, which says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Thompson combines this verse with the verses that call us children of God. So, I would like to take a few seconds and do this meditation together. 
If you will, close your eyes and imagine these words are coming from God your Father. Go ahead, close your eyes. I'm going to repeat this meditation twice and then you can open your eyes. Imagine these words are from God, your Father, to you. You are my daughter, and I do so love you. I am so pleased with you, and that you are on the earth. You are my daughter. And I do so love you. I am so pleased with you and that you are on the earth. You can open your eyes. Isn't that beautiful? Many nights I go to bed meditating on this and letting my heavenly Father love me and soothe me with those words. You might want to try it as well. That is another way we can prepare our minds for action. Sharing your feelings with God and focusing on God as Father through meditation are two practical ways to help you as you relate to God as Father. So let's recap what we've talked about. Just one verse. If you call on him, as Father. And we have worked our way through our outline if we have chosen you, not looking at anyone else. Call on him. We have responded to God's call as Father. And he will never let you down. Then what do we do? We respond in obedience as Peter did to Jesus, and we follow him. Let's pray. God, you are such a good, good father. Thank you for that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for wanting us. Thank you for delighting in us. Thank you for being pleased with us. I ask you, Lord, to take the words that we've heard this morning, apply them to our heart. Give every woman in this space courage to take a step of faith to follow you. And may we be quick, God, to give you praise for every good thing. We love you, Lord. Amen.